Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. What the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome into the show. It's been a few weeks. We took a kind of an early holiday break for Thanksgiving and Rob's traveling for a huge Bible nerd conference that all the big time scholars go to. So that was fun, right? Yeah. Big time scholars and me. Yeah. They, they invite you along. Yeah. I get to go too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, cool. So, and many of the scholars that we've had on the show, so you've yeah. got to connect with uh, some familiar got voices. To, got to see some, fam- uh, some familiar faces. Nice. Nice. Well, Hey, we are going to jump back into revelation chapter 10. We, we finished the first nine chapters and we're starting to get what you think is the key to the whole book, right? Yep. Yeah. Revelation 10 and 11. I know everyone gets excited about Revelation 13 and all that good stuff, but Revelation 10 and 11 are the center of the book. This is the answer. This is the key. If you want to understand Revelation, you need to listen to this week and next week's episodes. This is going to be the the whole thing. So, yep. Hang on. Hang on. Are you just saying that because that's what you wrote your dissertation in is chapter 11? So that's that's why it's the key. (laughs) Um, Did I mention I wrote a book called uh, These Two Witnesses, or The the Mm -hmm. Two Witnesses, and it's available on Amazon.com? I I mean, I don't think I did, but... Uh, Actually, I don't think we have mentioned that. No, no. Yeah, yeah. That's more of a scholarly academic book, but nonetheless. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. Hey, let's begin, though, uh, before we jump into chapter 10 and 11, kind of with a little bit of a review and kind of a summary of, of kind of the story up to this point, let me ask you, Vinny, what do you think are some of the main thoughts of the book in terms of the storyline or or at least what you think that I think are the, are the main yeah. thoughts of the book? Uh, I mean, well, there's a lot there. So I, I'll start a little narrower because uh, okay. there's so much we could talk about this. And we've done yeah. a lot of shows on how to read the book, but we obviously have a book that is contrary to popular opinion it's not a book about the end of the world right it's a book about jesus and we know that because john tells us that in the first three words of the book right. you have it's a book about worship what is right worship uh especially the chapters four and five which we would say you just said that chapters 10 and 11 are kind of this high point of the book but we already declared i think that four and five are the high point of the book so i guess you could have multiple high points you you have uh, a book that, and this is specifically getting into your thesis that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, especially when we get into those sequences that we've seen in uh, chapter uh, six, seven, eight, nine, where it's it's not a book about God's wrath being poured out in order to victimize people to convert to Him, but this is really giving people over to their own sin, and and it's uh, it, I think we we mentioned like. Romans chapter one is like kind of a parallel to Pauline way of saying that, but it's God giving people over to their own sin saying, this is the result of what you guys are asking for, because your thesis is that revelation is actually a love story of God reconciling the world and making all things good. So there's obviously so much more we could say, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Some of the points. Yeah. That's a good start. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so in chapter four of the book of revelation, right, we start off with the second narrative, the second story. And so that's why I think that's the that's center to the set to the second story, of course, is chapters four and five, uh, as you mentioned, and obviously that uh, builds on the climax. And then in the second story, uh, what we're now having is how is God going to bring redemption to the creation and to the nations? And what he does is he delays the end so that there's time for the nations to be redeemed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that delay in the end means the time of suffering and persecution for God's people who are called to faithfully, sacrificially, lovingly lay down their lives in persevering witness for the sake of the nations. And it's that sacrificial love for the nations, as we're going to see in 10 and 11, that bring the nations to repentance. 
But in the meantime, the nations remain in power. And because the nations remain in power, that's what causes the war and the famines and the bloodshed and all the violence. So that's not God's justice, as you mentioned, or God's wrath or God's vengeance. It's what happens when the nations remain in power. The people of God are crying out like, well, how long? How long are you going to let this be? Uh, and the answer is going to be on the scroll. Uh, now, the father had a scroll in chapter five, uh, chapter five, at the beginning of chapter five. In his right hand, no one's worthy to open the scroll, an angel says, a strong angel says. No one's worthy to open the scroll. Uh, and then John begins to weep because no one was worthy to open the scroll. And then an angel says to him, hey, don't weep. Oh, one of the elders says to him, don't weep because the lion from the tribe of Judah has overcome so as to open the scroll. And he turns and he sees a lamb that was slain. We'll get to that again uh, in a little bit. And the lamb takes the scroll and then he begins to break the scroll open. And now we're going to find out what the contents of the scroll are. And so that, that leads us to, uh, to, where, to where we are now. Uh, one thing that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks is that your thesis, it makes sense of the message of the whole New Testament, but it really does clash with many of the popular readings, especially the American popular reading of Revelation. Exactly. What, like what, what you just said and what I just reiterated as well, and that is the popular readings are that the book's about the end times and it only refers to the last seven years or three and a half years or refers to the future. It describes God's judgment upon the world. Uh, those who survive, as you mentioned, are supposed to repent. Uh, Christians are supposed to, supposedly like spared from suffering. They might even be raptured out of the way, according to some, some people. Uh, the world's going to get worse and worse and more and more chaotic. And eventually wars are going to break out. And so people are like clamoring, oh, you know, what's happening in Gaza is a sign of the end times because it's ultimately going to climax in some war in Megiddo. And I'm like, no, no, that's ex and, and most scholars are agreeing that's not what the book is about. Uh, but the book is about, again, uh, God's delaying his final judgment because of his love for the nations. During that delay, the nations remain in power. By allowing them to remain in power, they bring wrath and war and famine and death and destruction that especially impact the poor and the marginalized. But instead, unfortunately, all that death and destruction and despair does not bring the nations to repent. As chapter, at the end of chapter 9, it says, those who are not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. That's chapter nine, verses 20 and 21. And so repentance doesn't happen because the world gets so desperate. They're like, hey, there's no other hope. What else? What are we going to do? Well, let's turn to God. Instead, they continue to turn to the things of the world that they that they know to turn to. And now we're going to find out, well, here, here comes the answer now in chapter 10 and 11. Hmm. Uh, you, one of the things that you've done is you argued against uh, the popular readings. And we've talked a, a lot about this, about why it's you know, you and most scholars don't find it to be uh, convincing. But one of the things is that the popular reading argues that John basically is giving this blueprint. He he is seeing this vision. And so he's laying out things in a chronological linear sort of way for how the end times are going to unfold. But what you're arguing is that no Christians are being encouraged to be faithful and to persevere. Like that's the point. It's not to give us uh, this, this movie into the future. Exactly. And that's what we're going to see here in chapters 10 and 11. Okay. So we've uh, we've talked about how there's also a really strong connection with the story of the Exodus. And this is something that we've actually noted going back to when we started. Remember remember how this whole thing started like two or three years ago when it was going to be the New Testament in a year? Uh, <laughs> and, and so w when we when we got through uh, the book of Matthew, we talked about all those parallels of the Exodus. Yeah. And we, we've talked even in the book of Revelation, how about there's uh, you know, a strong connection between the Exodus the seven trumpets they use a lot of it uses a lot of imagery from the plagues yep. in egypt is there anything else in the exodus story that's going to help us understand the book of revelation yeah exactly so the question is there's no question at all or there's no doubt at all 
that the seven trumpets and later on when we get to the seven bowls use Exodus imagery. So the imagery of the plagues in Egypt is relevant or important for the description of the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. The question is, is why is John using that imagery? Is he using that imagery according to popular understanding because God's going to do it again. He's going to punish the nations. And just like Israel was exempt from the suffering of the plagues, so God's people are exempt from the suffering of the plagues. You know, that's kind of where all that understanding comes from. Uh, the key, I think, however, is looking at Exodus and the story of Exodus and what's going on in the story of Exodus. So what's intriguing is in the story of Exodus chapters one and two, the Israelites were actually being faithful. And it says, in fact, they were being fruitful and multiplying exceedingly, which is creation language, right? They're mm -hmm. fr be fruitful and multiply. But there came a Pharaoh who did, who did not know Joseph. Uh-oh, we've got an enemy empire. And that enemy empire does what? He's going to oppress the people of God. In fact, he's going to slaughter the firstborn because they're becoming too numerous. The end of chapter two, what's interesting about Exodus is God is not in the story in the first two chapters until mm -hmm. the very end of chapter two, which is really surprising because the Jewish literature, this high view of God. But all of a sudden, in Exodus 2, verse 22, 23, it says, the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out. And their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. So here's this story. Okay, the people of God are suffering. They're suffering under oppression at the hands of foreign empires. And now God takes notice. He hears their cry. Remember in the book of Revelation, how long, oh Lord? That, that's the cry. When are you going to answer this prayer? And God takes notice of them. Now, we know that John's using the same language. The question now becomes, well, what happens next? And what happens next is not the plagues in Egypt. In other words, if we're going to the Egypt story, the Exodus story, it's not like, okay, you know what? You guys did this to God's people. God's going to strike you down. He doesn't do that. Instead, he turns in Exodus chapter 3, and it's the story of the calling of Moses. Mm -hmm. Hey, Moses, here's what I want you to do. And I think that's exactly what's happening now in the book of, in the book of Revelation. That is, God first sends Moses to Pharaoh in order to, summon Mo, in order to summon Pharaoh to repent and to release the Israelites. And the point of that being is this. God does his work through his people. The idea, this is from Genesis chapter one, right? We were created to be God's image bearers. And the idea of being God's image bearers means that we reflect God. We, ref we reflect the king. An image bearer in the ancient world was an image of the emperor to let everybody know in the vast empire who the emperor was because they didn't have cell phones or technology. You don't know who the emperor in Babylon is when you live over in Jerusalem, for example, but you see an image of him now and you now know who he is. Image bearers were those who rule in his stead or represent the, the king. So in the creation account, then we are to be the ones who rule for God and rule in, in his place. This is also the same idea in the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come is not like us giving permission to God saying, hey, God, we give you permission to do the work of your kingdom. It's us saying, hey, God, we're giving you permission to use us and saying we're available for you to do, to do the work of, of your kingdom. So let me give you a, a quick anecdote here, Vinny. And that is, I was talking with someone recently who was referring to a, a, a leader that had gone bad. Hmm. Um, and that leader was causing a lot of harm and a lot of trouble uh, to a lot of people. And, and this individual said to me, he says, why didn't God just take him out? Hmm. And I said, listen, it's not God's fault. God doesn't just 
divinely intercede and take people out. What he does is he puts other people in position to take that person out. And those people actually fail to do their job. Mm. And so it, it, God works through us and he works through his people. And that's the whole idea. So this popular jargon of God's going to rapture the church out, strike everybody dead. And the ones who survive, well, not everybody, because the ones who survive have to repent. That's not the way God works. God works by laying down his life for his enemies and then calling us to do the same thing as well. And he makes himself known through us. And that's exactly what we're going to find in chapter 10 and 11. Mm, that's good stuff. So yeah. would you say that uh, this is the same thing when it comes to global conflict and global injustice in general? Because you just mentioned the anecdote about like a leader. So this yeah. is just the way we can look at the world in general. We're not merely talking about the church. Uh, yeah, yeah. The the reality is, in in one sense, wars are going to happen, and famines are going to happen, and plagues are going to happen. But the church is called to actually be the ones who advocate for peace. That's why mm -hmm. I've been so. If, if you guys are listening to us somewhat live, or uh, you know, in the fall of twenty twenty three, early winter twenty twenty three, you know, the war in Gaza, and I've been doing all these live streams saying, how can Christians and Christian leaders be calling for war? Our job is. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We are to be the ones who are advocating for peace. And when there's famine, we're the ones to help to go and help bring relief there. And we're the ones to go and help bring care for the afflicted and to take in the immigrants and the and and those who are needy. That's the role of the church. Now, the reality is we're not going to stop at all, but we are to be the agents of God and of God's kingdom. And it manifests itself in all those different ways. Mm -hmm. That's good. Hey everyone, we want to thank you for joining us on today's podcast. And we want to remind you that everything we provide at Determined Truth is free of charge. And this even includes all of the teaching that Rob does on a weekly basis to pastors in India and around the world. We don't have any supporters that get special behind the scenes access. But we can only do this with the generous support that comes from those of you who can afford to give. So if you would prayerfully consider supporting us with anything from $5 a month or more, we will continue to work hard to challenge the church to be the church. To give, go to DeterminedTruth.com and click on the Give tab or follow the link in the show notes. And so that idea then just brings us back to the one of the reasons why we would reject the popular idea of the secret rapture in which right. Christians are raptured out of the world for three and a half or seven years while all the bad stuff, the tribulation happens. Uh, it's just, that's not what we see in the biblical example. We're not removed in the midst of crisis. Yeah. God does the work of his kingdom through his people. If he raptures mm -hmm. his people out of the way, then the very agent through which God does his work is removed. Uh, mm -hmm. So and I've said this before, maybe on a podcast, I've certainly preached this before. And I said, okay, listen, I'm going to say something. It's going to sound really blasphemous. Don't leave. Let me explain. <laughs> right. You know, so, so give me a little bit of credit for a, sec for a second here. And the statement that sounds really blasphemous is Jesus didn't finish the job. Hmm. Now that sounds completely blasphemous. And the reason why it sounds blasphemous is because we think the job was for him to die on the, on the cross for our sins, rise again and go into heaven. Uh, and make sure that salvation is available for us all. And if that's the job, then Jesus clearly finished it. I'm not saying, oh, his death wasn't good enough. I'm not saying that at all. I'm Wait, saying, let, that, let, can I, yeah, let me interject. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to, from the evangelical voice who's listening to you speak, okay. I, I'm going to listen to you just say that the comment. And I'm going to say, wait a minute. I've heard the Good Friday sermon. I know that I heard a whole sermon on Tetelestai and it is finished. And it, it, like, if, if, how could it be finished if God, if Jesus didn't finish the job, but what you're referring is our popular notion of all Jesus did. He just came to die so we could go to heaven when we, when we die. 
Yeah. yeah. Like if yeah, we what, limit the gospel to that. Yeah. What's finished was his death in the, in the atonement, mm-hmm. but what's not finished is the redemption of creation. Yeah. So it, it's not finished yet. Revelation 21 and 22 are not yet here. Mm-hmm. Sin and death and suffering still exist. So it is finished. Cannot be like, oh, it's completely done. It's like, if it's completely done, this is not, not a very good kingdom. We've got wars and, and, and famines and children dying and suffering all, all over the place. So uh, exactly. If the job and the job goes back to Isaiah, and we won't take all the time to kind of go into, the, into that and get too sidetracked here, but the job was for Israel to be a light unto the nations, Isaiah 42.6 and Isaiah 49.6. You shall be a light unto the nations, or Exodus chapter 19, 4 through 6. You're supposed to be a royal priest at a holy nation. You are going to make me known, God says to Israel. I'm going to choose you out of the nations, and I'm going to make, and you're going to make me known to the, to the creation and the redemption and restoration of creation is going to come through the, the work of God's people. Jesus is God's people par excellence, but he didn't finish the job because he only preached to Israel and to the Jewish people. And now he says in Acts chapter one, go to the nations or Matthew 28, go ye therefore to the ends of the earth. And that is the task of the church. A good question you can ask like in your, in your classes at the church meeting would be, hey, when was Paul converted? <laughs> right now, by the way, the word converted is problematic because Paul was a Jew beforehand mm-hmm. and he's a Jew afterwards. It's like yes. he went from yep. being a Jew to becoming a Christian. Like he was a Jew beforehand. He's a Jew afterwards. He's just simply a Jew that accepts the Messiah now. Right. Mm-hmm. But when was Paul converted? Now, what everyone says, th- did you want to give a stab at the answer? Well, I mean, the popular answer would be it would be like Acts chapter nine. Right. It'd be the road to Emmaus. Uh, yeah, so he, it, he, like, he, that's he's even described as his conversion experience. That's right. The answer is Paul's blinded on the road to Damascus, mm-hmm. on the road to Damascus. By Damascus, not, not, I'm sorry. Yeah, Damascus, yeah, that's yeah, okay. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, Emmaus, Damascus. Same well, thing. Going to argue yeah. about who killed who. <laughs> All right. So uh, you, you got to get a Monty Python in once exactly, in a while, right? exactly. So, the general idea is he was converted on the road to Damascus, and the answer is he was blinded on the road to Damascus. Mm-hmm. And being blinded is not synonymous Mm-mm. with being converted. In fact, yes. coming to the light, opening your eyes. He was converted when Ananias or Mm -hmm. he gets saved or whatever. His transformation happens when Ananias lays his hands on Paul and Paul regains his sight. And so the story is, hey, Ananias, there's this guy named Paul. I I know exactly who he is. I I want you to go lay hands on him. Like, Lord, you know why he's come to, to Damascus, don't you? Of course, God knows. And the answer is, yeah, but he's my chosen instrument. Mm -hmm. So go do what I tell you. And Ananias goes. And so it's through the work of Ananias, and that illustrates the point. God does the work of his kingdom through us. So, and again, if you're listening to this podcast, and if you're not listening, don't pay attention right now, but if you are listening. uh, (laughs) It's a dad joke. What we often think is, you know, members of the congregation will think, oh, that's the job of the pastor, or that's the job of the teaching pastor, that's the job of Robin Vinnie on the pod, you know, they're the ones, the answer is no, all of us, everyone listening, all of us are called by God to be the instrument through which God does the work of his kingdom. Go ye therefore to the, to the nations, which might mean to your family in, like in the other side of the house or to the next door neighbor or to the person at the school or to the person at your workplace or the person at the grocery store or wherever else you might go. We are all called to be the agents through which God does the work of his kingdom. And that's exactly what Revelation 10 and Revelation 11 is going to get to now. Hmm. We've uh, talked about how we need to book, read the book of Revelation as a narrative. Yes. And what we don't mean, you, you, I think you especially emphasize this early on, is narrative not meaning uh, 
a left to right story where this event happens and this event happens, right. but we, we are reading it as a narrative. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and so when we get to chapters 10 and 11, it's when he's, you know, if God's calling forth the churches, he's saying, you know, Hey, Moses, in, in yeah. a sense, if, if, if we have the Exodus parallel. Exactly. So remember chapter nine ended with those who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. So whatever God's plan has been so far, it hasn't brought redemption. It hasn't brought the restoration of creation. It hasn't brought the, the, the redemption of the nations. They haven't repented yet. So now the question is going to be, how is God going to bring redemption to the nations? And the answer is, hey, Moses. Hey, and which obviously is, hey, church. Hey, people of God, I'm calling you to be the agent through which he does, does the work of his kingdom. So exactly, that's kind of the key to the story. And what we're not saying there is that the church, because you, you often don't use the term church because you right. use people I, exactly. of God. But, right. but what you're not saying is that the church has replaced Moses. No, the we are the Moses. The church is the new Moses. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we are Moses. Yeah, we, we, are, we are the embodiment of God's people. Isaiah 42, 6 and Isaiah 49, 6. You are my servant to be a light unto the nations. Hmm. Jesus comes along and he is the servant. There's no question about that. And as a result, he says, I am the light of the world. Okay, but guess what? He didn't finish the job because he didn't go to the world. So then he says, you mm -hmm. are the light of the world. And there's the answer. It's our task to be the ones through whom God does the work of his kingdom. So as Moses went to Pharaoh, so also we are called to go to the nations. Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and read verses one through three to get started with. Okay. Of chapter 10. And I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun and his legs like a pillar of fire or like pillars of fire. He held a little scroll open in his hand, setting his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. He gave a great shout like a lion roaring. And when he shouted, the seven thunders sounded. Ah, here we go. Now the book has appeared. Remember, we saw the book and we knew the book was really important or the scroll. Like It's really important. John's weeping because no one can open it. He finally turns and says, oh, the lion from the tribe of Judah is open, able to open it. And it's the lamb that was slain. Jesus takes the scroll and he begins to break each one of the seven seals. The, the fact that the narrative has spent this much time on the scroll, we know it's important because he's weeping. We know it's important because Jesus takes it. And, and it chronicles like the breaking of each one of the seven seals. Okay, this scroll is really important. But guess what happened after the seventh seal was broken? The scroll seems to disappear from the story. Chapter 8, verse 1, right? There, there's the scroll. And all of a sudden, I saw seven angels with seven trumpets. Like, oh. And, and so when we had chapters 8 and 9, the description of the seven trumpets, or at least the first six trumpets. And all of a sudden, now, here's the book again. There's, there's a little bit of a debate whether this is the same scroll or not. And the answer is it has to be the same scroll. Mm -hmm. The entire narrative has been pointing to us now to go, what's on the scroll? We know the scroll is important. What's on it? It seemed to disappear and like, where to go? And now here it is. There's an angel coming down and notice it's in the hand of this angel or, and the angel has, has descriptions like almost Christ-like and, and almost of the father as well. We won't get into that uh, right now, but the point is, and the book was opened. Ah, the last time we saw the scroll, Jesus had broken the seventh seal. So to see the fact that the book is now open or the scroll is now open says it's most definitely the same scroll. 
We hope you're enjoying the podcast, and we want to remind you that everything we do at Determined Truth, the podcast, Rob's blog, and our YouTube channel, is available on the Determined Truth app. Directions on how to download the app is available in the show notes and on the DeterminedTruth.com website. Just click on the app tab. One of the things that we mentioned in an early episode was that one of the keys to understanding revelation is the old Testament mm-hmm. and how scholars say that like there's between four and 600 allusions to the old Testament, mm-hmm. even though it's, it's rarely quote the old Testament's rarely quoted. There's allusions right. like in every verse. I think, I think Beale says that where like, you don't have one verse that doesn't have like some allusion to the old Testament. So what kind of role does Ezekiel two and three play chapters two and three play for this passage that we're in? Okay, so this is critical now. So understand what's happening in chapter 10 and the narrative story. The, the point that we've made so far is the scroll is now open. It's in the hand of an angel. And here's what's going to happen. So let's do this. Let's read the rest of chapter 10 first. And then we're going to jump to Ezekiel chapter 2 after that. So let's read Ezekiel. To, um, let's read Revelation 10, verses 3 through 11. You want to read that? Yeah, I'll do 4 through 11 because we've picked up, uh, we read okay. the verse there. Yeah. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and the land raised his right hand to the heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea is what what is in it. There will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is to blow his trumpet, the mystery of God will be fulfilled as he announced to his se- uh, to his servants, the prophets. Verse eight, then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is sitting on the sea and the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will be bitter to your stomach, but sweet as honey to your- in your mouth. So I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Then they said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Now, in order to understand what's happening here, we need to go to the book of Ezekiel. So let's turn to Ezekiel chapter two, and let me kind of preface this with with Ezekiel chapter one. uh, The prophet Ezekiel is now in Babylon. He's been exiled out of Jerusalem. He was a priest in Jerusalem, and now he's going to be made a prophet. And then chapter one, there's a description of God, which parallels Revelation four and five a little bit. And God's sitting on a throne and he's got these uh, creatures around him, like the four living creatures type of beings around him. And so it's this the script, this opening scene of God sitting on his throne, appearing to the prophet. Then in chapter two, verse one, he says, son of man, Ezekiel chapter two, verse one, stand on your feet. And he spoke to me. So I, okay. So, so in verse three, he says, I'm sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people. Verse four, I'm sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate. Verse five, whether they listen or not, don't worry about it. That's not all they're going to know is that a prophet's been among them. Now let's skip down to verse uh, eight, uh, chapter two, verse eight. Now you son of man, listen to what I'm speaking to you and do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I'm giving you. Then I looked and behold, a hand was extending to me and lo, a scroll was in it. When he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and on the back and written on it were lamentations, mourning and woe. Now chapter three, verse one. Then he said to me, son of man, eat what you find, eat the scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me the scroll. And he said to me, son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with the scroll, which I'm giving you. 
Then I ate it and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. Okay, so we see a number of parallels there, right? I mean, do anything, any things that stand out to you, Vinny? Uh, I mean, you definitely have the uh, the eating of the scroll and, right. and the the stomach and the tasting it and 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 all that. Uh, just qu quick side note, because I'm reading a parallel. I've been reading a lot of the NRSV, New Revised Standard. Okay, uh, they they translate uh, "son of man" as "O mortal." Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's neither here nor there. I guess yeah, there's yeah. some decision for made, but it, it, that's also when we see son of man, which I guess the standard translation in Ezekiel, I mean, all the other translations that I've read that I'm thinking of all read son of man, that helps us make an easier connection to the new Testament and the gospels. Whereas Jesus isn't called son of man is John. John's not called son of man in revelation. Is he? No, no. So it's just, it's just interesting how uh, th this is kind of messing with me. Knowing that, you know, reading this theologically, knowing that son of man is the significant title for Jesus. Uh, but we're it's 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 just interesting how the new revised standard renders it immortal. So anyway, uh, yeah, neither uh, here nor yeah. there is just a little okay. side note. And we can um, talk about it more later. Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh but but there's definitely the 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 aspect of taking that scroll and eating yep. it uh and what it does to you that not only the the experience, but also what's happening in your stomach to it. That's that's a huge yeah. parallel, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we also know, and it's not stated in Revelation 10, but in chapter five of the book of Revelation, the scroll had writing on the front and on the back. And the back, yeah. And so in Ezekiel 2, 2 verse 10, the scroll has writing on the front and on the back. Mm -hmm. In both cases, they're given a scroll. In both cases, they're told to eat it. In both cases, they're told that it'll be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Mm -hmm. Whereas John added, and it made my stomach bitter. Yeah, that's right. But the point of the passage is this. Ezekiel chapter two is a commissioning passage. In other words, Ezekiel is being commissioned. It's kind of like a big formal church service. You come before the church and the congregation, everybody's there, and, and we lay hands on you and we pray over you and maybe pour oil on your head, you know, whatever your tradition might be. And then, okay, now I'm sending you out. So Ezekiel is being commissioned by God to be a, a prophetic voice to the people. And now notice the end of Revelation chapter 10. And it says, after he ate the scroll, it says, uh, it was sweet in my, uh, as honey in my mouth, but it turned my stomach bitter. And then they said, verse 11, now you must prophesy to many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. John is being commissioned as a prophet. So in other words, we don't know the answer to the scroll yet, but we know that what's on the scroll, John's eaten, and he's now going to digest it and then speak forth what's on it. So whatever happens next, which means Revelation chapter 11, is the content of the scroll and constitutes the prophetic announcement of how God is going to bring redemption. Now, remember, the scroll is God's will, God's plan of redemption, God's plan of restoration. The fact that it was sealed up with seven seals indicates it's a will, it's a divine plan. This is the center of the story. What's on the scroll and how is it going to play out? How is the redemption going to happen? And the answer is, John's eaten the scroll, and he's now going to tell us what the answers are. Hmm. So what that then means then is that Revelation chapter 11, now scholars might differ a little bit, like we know chapter 11 verse 1 is the contents of the prophecy, but where does the prophecy end? You know, so John's called to go prophesy. Does, is it the rest of the book that's the contents of his prophesying, or is it just chapter 11? We would all agree that it's at least chapter 11, and that's probably easy enough for us right now. The first 13 verses... John's told to go prophesy. He opens in chapter 11, which we'll look at in more detail next time. The first thing he does is given a measuring rod, which is a 
a yardstick or it's a prophetic tool of a prophet to measure, which means to symbolizing the divine protection of that which is being measured. So it's a prophetic act to measure. Uh, and then he opens his mouth and he prophesies. And the answer is the two witnesses. Right. I, and so chapter 11, verse three says, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses. Ah, the way God's going to bring redemption and the restoration of creation is through the two witnesses. Or another way of saying it is Moses. Mm. Come here, go speak to Pharaoh, go set my people. For, and we are, which we'll discuss in more detail later. We are the two witnesses. We are the new Moses who's being called uh, to, to prophesy. Interesting. And I know we're going to get more into that next week because yeah. there's a whole bunch of controversy on who are those two, witness, two witnesses. Uh, hey, I know that the book, we, we just talked about how the Old Testament plays a huge role. The book of Daniel plays a, a significant role in the book of Revelation. We'll definitely hit into that in a couple chapters when we get into chapter 13 and the beast mm-hmm. of chapter 13 and yes, how that relates yes, to yes. Uh, what we see in chapter 7 of Daniel and whatnot. Um, in chapter 12 of Daniel, though, there it, that, that also talks about a scroll. Yes. You have this man clothed in linen who, who in the stream, there, there's all this imagery here. Yeah. What does Daniel 12 have to do with what we're seeing here? Is that just a, it's, it's similar imagery, but it's talking about something different. No, I think it's, I think the scroll that John eats is the scroll of Daniel. Okay. And it was the, the scroll that had seven seals is the one that Daniel was told to seal up. So, so Daniel becomes central now, and we haven't really discussed it a lot. Because as you said, it really, it really begins to unpack, get unpacked in chapter 13 of the book of Revelation. But the prophecy of Daniel was about the coming of the kingdom of God and how the coming of the kingdom of God will destroy the kingdoms of the world. And we'll look at this in more detail later. But if you're listening now, just you know, read Revelation chapter 2. I'm sorry, read Daniel chapter 2 and then read Daniel chapter 7. Chapter 7 won't make sense, but the answer is, Read Daniel chapter seven and light of Daniel chapter two, and mm-hmm. it will make sense. It's the yep. it's four kingdoms that are being destroyed by the kingdom of God. Dan, Daniel comes now, so let's go to Daniel chapter twelve. And Daniel's like, okay, great. Uh, when's this going to happen? Right? Uh, verse three that you alluded to says, uh, "Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead man, the many to right, righteousness like the stars forever and ever." Oh, by the way, verse four. Uh, as for you, Daniel, conceal these words. And seal up the book until the end of time. Now, many are going to go back and forth, and knowledge is going to increase. So verse 5, I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and one on that bank of the river. Very similar to Revelation 10, although there's only one person in Revelation 10. Uh, And then one said to the man dressed in linen, uh, who was above the waters, how long? Right, there's that prophetic cry. How long, right? How long will it be until the end of these wonders? And I heard the man dressed in linen who is above the waters of the river. And he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. As soon as they finished shattering the power of the holy people, which means the killing of God's people, by the way, the the suffering of God's people, all these events will be completed. As for me, verse 8 now, uh, I heard, but I could not understand. And so I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And he said, go your way, Daniel. For these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time. Ah, so Daniel has the vision that tells us how God's going to bring redemption, how God's kingdom is going to come and destroy the kingdoms of the world and establish the kingdom of God. But we don't know what it means yet because it's sealed up until the end of time. Now, one quick segue here. 
we noted in our, in our discussion of Revelation chapter one that uh, these things must happen very soon. And that, that, that word soon was like what, problematic. And what I argued was that John was dealing with the book of Daniel and that Daniel keeps talking about until the last days or until the end of time. And the answer is John now cha changes it from the last days until basically until now. Mm -hmm. The coming of Christ, he's the one who is worthy to open the scroll and he opens the scroll, he gives it to John and John eats. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 10 now and kind of finish this up here. Because the key now and found in Revelation chapter 10, let me uh, reread verses five, six, and seven. Uh, and it says, Revelation chapter 10, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted his right hand toward heaven. Sounds a lot like Daniel chapter 12. He swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. Mm. There, there's your answer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he's about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. There will be delay no longer. Daniel's like, he's told, go your way, Daniel. These things are sealed up until the end of time. And now in Revelation, the end of time has come. And, and again, remember, if the book of Revelation is centered on Jesus, as you know, at the beginning, when I asked you kind of to review, it starts off by saying the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is three words in Greek, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus. Then the end of time and the delay is centering on Jesus, not on some future event like some Antichrist signing a peace treaty. You know, that whole notion doesn't make any sense. Revelation is clearly telling us there will be delay no longer with the coming of Christ and the advent of the end has begun. And now God's people are being sent out to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah. And, and this would just be a, a New Testament uh, yeah. a hermeneutic where we would, we would even look at uh, you know, Peter on in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost, yes. proclaiming that you know, he's quoting Joel and saying, like, yes. hey, just like we anticipated the day of the Lord, uh, in, in the last days, which exactly. that's not what Joel says, but he's reinterpreting Joel in light of what Jesus did specifically there in the ascension of Jesus and the pouring out of the spirit. Like the end times are here, the last days are here. So in, in light of the Christ events, yes. his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, the end times have arrived. Exactly. Absolutely. And and shameless plug, but my book, Understanding the, the New Testament in the End Times, that's kind of the whole focus of the book. Mm -hmm. The subtitle of the first edition was Why It Matters, right? Understanding the, the New Testament in the End Times, Why It Matters. When we did the second edition, and for some reason, the publisher just forgot to put the subtitle on. And it's like, why it matters. And it matters because A, the kingdom of God's already begun. The end times have already begun. And guess what? He's called us to be the agents through which God does the work of his kingdom. So mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's really significant. So, so Vinny, as we stop here again, it's probably, it's, I know we haven't finished a whole hour, but it's probably a good place to stop. We've set the table for Revelation chapter 11 and the story of the two witnesses and what it's going to mean. It's the, it's the content of John's prophesying. It's the God summoning his people to go out and suffer faithfully for the sake of the nations. And that's kind of what Revelation chapter 11 is all about. What are some things that you would say are key takeaways, maybe to reiterate things we've already said or. Uh, or just something that you want to that you want to point out here now, you know, an image that struck me, and you could, I don't, I don't know if this is the correct connection, okay, um, but even in even hearing John, uh, and, and John having to eat the scroll and it tasted like honey, but it made his stomach bitter. Mm. We, I don't think we impact that a lot. Yeah, I don't know sure. how much there is to the imagery. Maybe there's more to it, but but one of the things that struck me is even like looking at Mark, uh, 
in in the parables of the four sowers and in the way of the four seeds sorry sorry the four seeds uh and the four soils and um sorry it's one seed four soils it's one seed you got it yeah yeah. but even the idea of like sometimes in there and this isn't a a direct one-to-one but it's showing how like different see different soils are receiving the gospel and uh and and sometimes it it seems sweet like these flower these roses that have thorns it doesn't Mm. use roses it's just it's thorns but you know sure pretty flowers are on thorny uh branches often and it's like there's this attractive thing there but then it does become sour and it gets choked off right and i know that this isn't exactly what what is being referred to here but it just even makes me think of like even Mm -hmm. the role of the prophet or someone who is you know we're we're all ambassadors for christ right yeah how how sometimes we'll often receive something and it will taste like honey but it does turn bitter in our stomach and it makes our stomachs Mm -hmm. upset but even how do we persevere through that so this is totally like it is more of like a preaching point I would make. I'm not. I don't know mm-hmm. if this is the point of of the passage, but yeah, I was yeah. just being struck with that. In that, well, that's yeah. what perseverance means. Right. It means that you're, you're no one's attracted to something that's not beautiful. You're not. You're not attracted to. You're attracted to a beautiful thing, but we oftentimes abandon those beautiful things when they become ugly, and that's mm. what perseverance means. And so yeah. I know that was just the kind of like a different word picture yeah, that cool. that kind of hit me. Yeah, uh, actually, that's pretty appropriate. The, the imagery of it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was turned bitter. The general understanding of that, which is probably correct, I, I would suggest, is sweet as honey in his mouth because this is this is the answer. This is what we've been waiting for. How long, oh Lord, until mm-hmm. you bring redemption? And so here's the answer. It's the contents of the scroll. Oh, guess what? Uh, it's not all good news for God's people because mm-hmm. it's the way of the cross. Mm-hmm. It's the way of cross-bearing love. It's the way of suffering and remember, it says the shattering of the holy people in, in the book of Daniel, when God's people have suffered faithfully and lovingly for the sake of the nations, that's what's going to bring redemption. We'll see this explicitly in the story in chapter 11. So we've given away what chapter 11 is about, but we haven't given away the details as to how mm-hmm. it actually works. Um, but so it's as sweet as honey in his mouth because it's it's the answer, but it's turning his stomach bitter because it means suffering. Yeah. And it's, I, the, I think the, the appropriate takeaway is there's application where, yeah, this is something that was prescriptive for John. This is part of this narrative that we've talked about, but this is something that all of us, as we yeah, take up our yeah. cross daily, we could all experience this. Yeah, exactly. And again, just, uh, I don't want to harp on this too much, but I guess I will. Uh, the popular end time stuff is about non-suffering, about yeah. suffering, about them suffering and mm-hmm. us not. You know, we God, escape the suffering. Yeah, yeah, we escape the suffering. We may even get raptured out of here. Good news for us. Bummer for you guys. It's exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. suffering is the way of the kingdom or suffering for the sake of Christ. You know, blessed are those who suffer on account of my name, right? We're suffering not because we're jerks. I got to make sure we make that caveat there. Yep. We're suffering not because we're jerks, not because whatever. we're suffering on account of the name of Christ because we love the nations. Uh, that is the means to which God brings redemption. So, yeah. Yeah. I call it the which, jerks for Jesus suffering. Yeah. You know, yeah. Some people just need that bumper sticker. Yeah. <laughs> you're not persecuted. You're just a jerk for Jesus. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. That's not what he means. Uh, yeah. the, I guess that also add to, by the way, Vinny, and that is this is a task that we cannot accomplish on our own. Mm-hmm. So we need to be reminded twofold. One, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength, Philippians 4.13, that what we're saying is God wants to do the work of his kingdom through you and through all of us. Now go get to work. Oh, but guess what? You're not going to do it by yourself or, uh, mm-hmm. and by your own strength and by your own abilities. And mm-hmm. secondly, it's daily rely, relying upon the, the power of the person of the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish 
in order that God might accomplish his work through us. So God's the one doing the work. He's doing it through us. So we need to be relying upon the, the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Very good. Cool. So next week we jump into chapter 11. Absolutely. Nice. Well, hope everyone is continuing to enjoy your holiday season, whatever that might look like. And uh, is there a better way to bring in the holidays than a study in the book of Revelation? Absolutely. I mean, this has bright lights and everything too. So anyway, we'll catch us next week. We'll continue to jump in this, read ahead, meditate on the text. We'll see you guys then. I want to thank you for joining us on today's podcast. And we would love for you to share the work of Determined Truth with others. Please follow this podcast and give a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your review will go a long way towards helping others find this podcast. Then share it with others so that we can get the word of the gospel of the kingdom to more people. 